I think people sometimes are afraid of going for things, but staying where you are maybe is more terrifying <laughs> than really going for it. And failing, like I failed many times in like in those endeavors, but I guess it's one of those things you're only gonna know if you could have done it if you try doing it. So you go for it. Welcome everybody to the Faking, Faking Notes, Notes podcast. podcast. It's the podcast. It's the podcast that's faking notes. We're faking it all the time. But you know who who's not faking it all the time <laughs> is this story is insane. Who do we have on the pod today? Uh, Anna Murakawa. Okay, her life is a movie. Okay, we've had lots of guests here, but this was like probably the most epic life story I think I've ever heard from the musical classical music perspective. If you don't listen to our podcasts through all the way, typically you need to listen to this one from beginning to end because the roller coaster is finna take you all over the place. She started her violin studies at 13, convinced her government of Brazil to create a scholarship for her to move and study in Bulgaria, where she didn't have a violin, she couldn't speak Bulgarian or English, had a terrible teacher that sent her to an, into a down spiral of mental health and depression. And she talks about how she conquered it all. And here's the thing. We spent the whole episode on this backstory. <laughs> and, and we didn't even we didn't even make it up to the present. That's how insightful she is and how much she's already gone through and overcome. She is textbook courage. Look it up in the dictionary. It's a picture, it's a Facebook it's of just, her. It's right just a there. link to her Instagram. It's just <laughs> like, yeah, this is how you do it. I just sat there in awe of someone who can go through so much and overcome so much and really just be still be so in love with life. I love this journey. I can't wait to watch it on Netflix. We're definitely going to have her uh, come through again and see what she's mm -hmm. up to now because mm -hmm. who, who knows where she'll be next time we speak to her. She's going to be president of the world, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's it's only kind of joking. It's She's just a wonderful person, and you can tell she's just getting started. She's always looking out for the community, and I can't wait to see where she goes next. If you like this episode, come support us on Patreon so we can do more of these episodes like that. And also, if you want to speak to us and figure out what we're up to and have some awesome conversations of our own, join us on Discord. You can find all the links in the descriptions. That community is growing, and that's somewhere where we're going to try to provide value. If you like memes... We make dank memes. We got producer Daniel in the camp making producer the dankest Daniel. of memes. And definitely come chat with us because we're going to be announcing <laughs> our, like, some live streams, some movie nights. So just, it, it's a great way to stay directly in communication with us and events that we have going on outside of the podcast. But, uh, but anyway, this is not about us. Okay, this is about Anna Murakawa. You need to follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Anna Murakawa, M-U-R-A-K-A-W-A. And also Anna Murakawa Violin on Facebook. This is Anna Murakawa. And breeze it's known by You know how I feel It's a new dawn It's a new day 
it's a new life for me. So, Anna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's really great to have this official sit down <laughs> with you. I've been a, a big fan of your work over the past year. And one thing we talk about in the influencer space is like authenticity and being upfront and open. And whenever I talk with people and try to inspire them to do the same, they say it's so difficult. I'm wondering from your perspective, how do you find the bravery or just the courage to be so authentic in front of such a large audience? First of all, thank you, Drew. Thank you, Trevor. Authenticity, I think it comes more natural when you don't really think about it. For me, it's trying to express what I really feel at the moment or in situations. And I feel like I'm usually swimming against the tide, if I can say that. Like people say, you should go this way. And I'm like, I don't feel that way. And I usually go the opposite way. And I think I'm used to those situations where I actually like the challenge of being myself and being able to express myself. And that comes in a variety of forms. I think it came from the, like, telling everybody that it was okay. I wanted to practice for lots of hours. And people are like, no, you should actually go party and enjoy your, like, college years and things like that. I'm like, no, that's not me at the moment. And like, so I've been the courage to be who you are and what you are feeling and be that, like, being super creative or, like, being who you are, being reserved, practicing for hours. Um, and I think authenticity probably comes from that. Yeah. I love that phrase, the courage to be yourself. Uh, I use that word because I feel like now there is a, a pattern, like everyone wants to put you in a mold and you have to behave a certain way. And like, I was trained as a classical violinist and as, you as a classical violinist, you should do this. And I'm like, can I dare to be myself? Can I have the courage to do all the things? And yeah, it comes from that. You do it very well. You do it very well. And I wanted to maybe delve a little deeper into your history as a violinist. Uh, your story is so captivating. You started violin at 13, right? Yes. In an after school program project, Guri? Yes. Is that what it's called? Guri. Yes. Guri. And Guri, the word itself means a boy. And, and like in South Brazil, it's just like a project kid. <laughs> it's what it's called. Basically. Oh, okay. I was yeah. like, boy. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a social program, actually. And so it was created, I think, like probably 20 years ago now. And it was created to actually help kids. Because in Brazil, the school system is a little bit different. We actually have schools in the morning. You can go to school in the afternoon. And some kids, when you are in a high school, you can go to school in the evening. So kids who went to school in the morning, what would they do? They would spend their afternoon sometimes doing things that were not probably the best for them and vice versa. So they created this program so kids could have something to do in an alternate period from their school. And I joined the program and I didn't know anything about music. And I remember like when I got into the program on their application they had a table full of instruments and the lady asked you like what instrument do you want to play like mm, I'll pick that one <laughs> and so I picked violin at random <laughs> and I loved it because I felt like it was so challenging 
and every day I really enjoyed the discovery and like how I could perfect some things and how I was terrible at it. And I'm like, why am I so bad at it? I was so good at school and I always tried have my A's and all of those things. And I think I thrived on knowing that I did my best. And with violin, I couldn't reach that. And it was such a big challenge. So I quickly fell in love with violin. And this program is, I think you and Midra, we have a similar story because we start in a group setting. So it's already in an orchestra setting. You, you have the violin lessons at the same time as the violas, the cellos, the basses. Everyone's there together. And I didn't start having private lessons until I was about 15. And I actually, it's, I have so many crazy stories, but I went to Rio de Janeiro for my first musical festival. And I've learned that there were other projects in Brazil where you actually could get paid to study. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. I want to do that. And there is another project called Baccarelli where they have the orchestra there and they actually have violin teachers. So I could have private lessons if I were to enter the orchestra. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I, I definitely want to do that. So I come back to Sao Paulo and I'm decided that I am going to go to this orchestra. The problem was the orchestra rehearsed in the morning and I went to school in the mornings. So before taking my audition, I told my mom that I got the job. I told mom, I got a job in an orchestra. You're not going to believe this. <laughs> and, and she's like, oh, really? I'm like, yes, mom. But look, this is my dream. I really, I really have to take this opportunity. But I have to move to night school. And she's like, night school? I'm not really sure about that. And I'm like, mom, please go with me. I'm going to change to night school I'm, and I'm going to be in orchestra. Like, it's my first job. And I'm going to earn, at that time, it was like probably $100 a month. But for me, I was like, okay. yes, yes, I want to do this. So I convinced my mom. I changed schools. And then I go take my audition. I was at that time, big fish in a small pond at the project. I was like concert master and that was all that I knew. So I was like, yeah, I'm good. And I get to the audition and you guys know like audition settings is usually like private and you, you get to know the results after. But at that one, there was like, it was all open and I play and I play like a reading concertino because I didn't know anything. I only knew orchestra music. And I play it and it's so bad. And the conductor immediately looks at me. Oh, sweetie, I don't think you're ready. And me being myself and thinking about my mom, I'm like, you don't understand. I need to play in an orchestra. My mom already changed my school. Like, you have no idea. Like, I need to play in your orchestra. And I, I didn't know about etiquette and all of those things. I didn't know how to talk to a conductor and... I was just like, no, 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 you don't get it. I am playing the orchestra. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> and I think I was probably like talking nonstop for like about 20 minutes. And after a while, he just looked at me and he's like, look, let's make a deal. I will give you like a few things. So I need you to practice the fourth movement of the fifth symphony of Beethoven. I needed to learn the first movement of the Hiding Concerto. I needed to learn the Guarani, which is a Brazilian opera, the Overture. And if you learn those things by next week, you get the spot. And I'm like, oh, okay. Nice. So 
I get back home. Yeah. I didn't know how to shift. And and Beethoven's fourth movement, it starts in fourth position. I didn't know what that was. I was just like, okay, I need to find those notes. And luckily, I didn't realize until later I have perfect pitch. So I knew how to match sounds. And so for a week, I was practicing. And I get back there the following week. And I play. And of course, I don't think it was amazing. In my mind, I remember it being a like movie scene, but I don't think it was that great. But I think the evolution that I did in a week, seeing how much I really wanted that, the conductor and, and the other members of the jury, they were like, okay, you can get the, 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 the position you're in. So I was practicing like there was... No tomorrow, and I quickly went like um, from sitting in the back of second violins to becoming section leader. It was really quick, and in six months, I already got another job. That one I didn't have to beg <laughs> to stay. <laughs> um, but yeah, but like a bit of the history starts um, starts there, like um, social project and really hustling my way into an orchestra. It's an incredible story to. To, to to go in there and definitely to tell mom. Yeah, I got it. Ooh, you you're, you're not coming home without that. So no, <laughs> and the dice. I think that was the. I think I have done that a few times in my life. Like subconsciously, I'm like, I want this result, and I'm gonna make. I'm gonna burn the boat. So there is no way it's not happening. Yeah. There is That's no what way. I was going to say. Is it sounds like that old adage is don't have a plan B, burn the boats as soon as you land and understand your survival is whether or not you take that city. And in these cases, the city was that orchestra. And there are so many people that do not have that mentality. They try to have the safety net ready for them. But how come you didn't see that the safety as an option? I think um, the safe option option for me was actually worse than what I could not do if I actually tried my best because then I would look back and I'm like, I have no violin lessons. I will continue in, in the, the social program, which I loved, but I was like, there is no way I'm going to grow and my life, what are my prospects? I really discovered that this passion for violin and was like, if I want to do this, I need to go go for it. Yeah, full on. I think I, it was that. Um, I think people sometimes are afraid of going for things, but staying where you are maybe is more terrifying <laughs> than really going for it. And failing. Like I failed many times in like in those endeavors, but I guess it's one of those things you're only gonna know if you could have done it if you try doing it. So you go for it. I love what you said about failure. Do you think you could highlight like a, a failure? Can you tell us a story of a failure? Cause like we at the Faking Nose podcast, I personally share my failures. Trevor has shared plenty of his failures and we lots really, of, lots of stories. We love these stories We've because a lot of failures. they tell, they, they teach the most, yes. you know, you don't learn from your wins. You don't learn from your wins. I think there are two sides. You learn a lot from your failures. It humbles you as well. And and sometimes what comes next, what comes after is much better than you could have expected from having actually achieved that, that you tried to do, if it makes sense. I remember I did an audition for an orchestra in, in Sao Paulo, which is 
already like a professional orchestra and I was practicing a lot and all of those things happened in, in a span of one and a half years so when I was probably my 16 late 16 I was auditioning for this professional orchestra and I was practicing a lot I get there and I don't get into the orchestra so I am really disappointed but what happened was I was in peak performance and I went touring with my other orchestra and to a music festival, like in another state. And there I actually had the opportunity to play for some teachers. I had materials and I was ready. And because I was ready, I was actually invited to go study overseas. And that's why I left Brazil. So because of this major failure, emotionally, you don't want to hear no, you're not good enough. You want to get accepted. But it was the best thing that could have happened. Otherwise, I probably would have stayed in Brazil. Not saying that would have been bad, but I would not have had all this experience that I have had now had I been accepted to that orchestra. I also had this mindset of really investing into my career. So all the money that I was making, I was investing on like buying strings and like going to lessons and trying to play for other teachers so when this opportunity came along I applied for a teacher and I have so many stories guys you can be here all day but this is another story Uh, yeah this is why we're here (laughs) so I go to this festival in Brasilia which is capital of Brazil and I meet this teacher, she's Bulgarian. And at the time, I'm like, this is crazy. But she asked me if I could learn the Isai Sonata from like overnight. And Ugh. look, bear in mind, Ugh. at that point, I am like, I am practicing a lot, but I have recently learned how to do my scales properly and like all those things. But the good thing is, I think I was so naive that I didn't know what was difficult and what wasn't. So I was like, oh, if she tells me I can do it, okay, I can do it. She's the expert. I didn't have those boundaries. So once again, I start practicing a lot, practice overnight. And I remember I have this scene so clear in my mind. I remember practicing out open in the air because... We didn't have like practice rooms and people going to dinner and stuff. And one guy screaming, yo, are you not going to come with us? I'm like, no, no, I'm just going to practice. And so, oh, you're going places, girl. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm going places. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, next day, I play, the, I play as best as I can the days I. And she asked me if I want to go study with her in Bulgaria. I do. And at that point, I had played for a few teachers and I had some invitations to go to America, had some invitations to to go to like uh, Europe and then this one in Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I was thinking, Anna, you have already started violin very late. You just got a, a teacher and discipline is mm-hmm. not, <laughs> it's like, we don't know Brazilians by their discipline. So I was like, if you really want a shot of this, <laughs> if you really want a shot of this, you really have to commit. And I thought, I love the Russian violin school. I think I'm going to get those skills if I go to Bulgaria. And people are like, Bulgaria, this is crazy. 
but what was even more crazy is that time I didn't have a violin. I was borrowing a violin. And she said that they didn't have scholarships. So I would have to pay for it myself. And my family in Brazil is like really humble. So there is no way that could happen. So once again, see, that's like where now I look back and I'm like, yeah, I think I did that a lot. <laughs> so what I did, <laughs> I, I told everyone like a cycle. I'm like, I am traveling to Bulgaria on the 27th of February. And I threw a farewell party. And I didn't have money to pay for school. I didn't have violin. I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything. And I told everyone, I'm going, I'm going. I, I got emancipated because I was underage. So my parents had to sign this thing saying that I'm now responsible for myself. Wow. And I am like architecting everything from behind the scenes. And again, in my innocence, and naivety, I write down on a piece of a Word document, what am I going to need? I was like, okay, so the air ticket's probably going to cost me like $2,000. For me to pay for a school, it's going to cost this much for me to pay for. And then I decided, I was like, I live in Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo, everyone says, is the heart of the Brazilian economy. What am I going to do? I'm going to go knock door to door, tell my story and ask people to sponsor me. <laughs> that's that simple. And wow. um, and I actually start on this mission and look how crazy it is. Very in the beginning of this journey, I got invited to play again at the Project Agree because they were opening a new a new like group in, in, in a different part of the city. And they wanted to show like some ex-students to see this is what you can do. And I'm like, I wonder if I get a, can get a meeting with the director of the project so I can tell my story. And at that um, performance, I met someone from the board and told her my story. And she's like, oh, this is fascinating. I'm going to get to the meeting. So I get a meeting with the, the director. And she's like, you know, I, because like we never intended for this project to, to transform people in like professional musicians. We just wanted like the social thing. And, and she's like, and you got an invitation to go study abroad. This is fascinating. It's the first time I hear it. And I'm like, yeah, so can you guys help me? Can you sponsor me in any way? And I remember I left the meeting and she's like, I think we might be able to help you with the air ticket. And I'm like, great. That's great. I was like so optimistic. Mm -hmm. And check. check. That's one <laughs> thing. I got it. And at the same time, my mom is, oh, and I, you know, like we cannot afford this. What are you doing? I'm like, mom, don't you worry. I got this. <laughs> and, uh, and then the following week, they asked me for, they, they asked me to go there for a meeting. And I go to this meeting and they have this table, like a movie scene like this long table and lots of people sitting like across the table and I'm there with my mom and they're like oh so we have been thinking a lot and I know time is pressing I made that deadline but I told them I was like I need this because I need to travel the 27th of February and they're like why do you need to travel on that day I told school that I'm gonna be there on that day and that was not really true but I told everyone because I knew if I didn't have a deadline this would linger forever yeah, and I so I go back there and they're like oh look, we really discussed this with the board members and everyone and we are fascinated by your story and we decided that we want to help you 
And not only that, we are actually creating a scholarship program and you're going to be the first to get this scholarship. So we are going to pay for everything. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. yes. And Whoa. they're like, but the only problem is we are not going to be able to travel on the 27th of February, but you can travel on the 8th of March because you have to open a bank account. <laughs> <laughs> So, wow. that's so sweet. I love it. <laughs> so they created this this scholarship program, and I think like they they had audition, and all their thirteen kids went to study abroad. And now this program has transformed itself, and now it has like over two thousand um, students that actually receive money, some scholarship to be able to pay for their private lessons and they can choose their teacher and all of those things. I think that's a really cool story because I think here is one thing and the benefit of you going for it because sometimes when you do, it's not just a blessing for you, but it's a blessing for other people as well. You open doors, mm. like you're creating this new avenue and like for people to like really look at things. Look, we are doing our best. There are people that are interested in like pursuing this further. Can you guys help us? And they did. And it was incredible. And when I tell my story about Bulgaria, it's like people say, oh, there are no scholarships for this school and I cannot do this. I cannot do that. I created a scholarship. Like the mm -hmm. government created mm -hmm. a scholarship so I could study. Yeah. So not a lot of excuses there. So I think people see. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so true. People see when you're really committed and when you want it. And to this day, like when I look back, because then that became a massive boom. And that's when I started getting like well-known because this project, they have, I don't know, thousands and thousands. It's the biggest project in Brazil, social cultural project. So I got into newspapers and those things and like they would put the newspapers in their schools and was so sweet. But the, I remember some interviews, like TV interviews, the director saying she was so determined. She was so committed. We had to do it. So mm -hmm. I think that's one of the spices that anyone listening can add on the, yeah, on their pursuit. Do you really want it? Because people are going to see it. People are going to notice. So don't half-ass mm. it. <laughs> don't half-ass it. Burn the boats. <laughs> wow. Wow. This is why we wanted to have you on, because you're definitely one of us, and you've gone out and done it, and you've taken huge risks. You say it in such a nice, charming way, and... Oh, yeah. And then I created a scholarship from the government and then I flew to Bulgaria and needed a bank account and all these other <laughs> things. But that's all incredibly hard and risky. It takes so much courage. And on smaller scales, like I think for Drew and I, we relate to that. And some of our guests relate to that. This like combination of, of just going for it and asking, not waiting for permission, not asking for permission, but going out and making it on your own. It's wonderful. I was curious now that you've done so much and your skills and you've improved, is it harder to return to that sense of innocence? Even briefly, I remember some of the things I was doing earlier, some of the pieces, I just hadn't yet learned that they were hard. 
and I hadn't yet learned to be afraid. I remember showing up to undergrad. I was a horrible bassoonist, just like what you had mentioned with the violin. I could figure out the other woodwinds and I was good for the town. But bassoon, I could not figure out. It was awful. It was a nightmare. It was, it was just horrific. And it stayed that way. And thankfully, they, they took a risk. I think they accepted me. Universities need seats. I had an incredible teacher. I took one lesson three weeks before the audition. And I couldn't play etude number one. It was, I couldn't play the first measure because I literally didn't know what I was doing. But I showed up again three weeks later and took a lesson that morning. And he just saw that he's not an idiot. He just has no idea what he's doing. We yeah. can teach him. <laughs> And so he, he let me in, and the next thing I show up next summer, and I, I place into the top group. And everyone's, whoa, who is this kid? But I, I was doing everything literally wrong. It was like a science experiment. I was like tonguing from the top, like all these insane things. But I hadn't yet n learned or ingrained to be afraid. I didn't know that auditions are supposed to be scary. That helped me, but also once we started working on techniques, so I wound up in the top group, and it's insane music. There's huge orchestral music, huge wind ensemble music, but I, I couldn't even play whole notes because I had to re, I had to restart from that fundamental. And so I learned that fear pretty quickly. The innocence was over. Do you find yourself bumping back into that? Because now you are aware. This isn't that easy. I can't just walk in and do this. Do you have to remind yourself to keep going out there? Absolutely. I think this is very interesting because when we don't know something is difficult, we do it, but then people really put limits and it's, oh, this is okay for you to do, this is not okay, this is too hard for you, and we believe it, and I think that's the problem, and I think the more you grow, there is a problem of also, like, your identity, and unfortunately, in classical music, I think so much of your identity was tied to what you could do, not just who you are. And it's, oh, if you can play really well, wow, you are amazing. If you, like, have a bad day and don't play well, it's like, oh, what happened to her? And that it's an attack on your, or on your character. I think the fear of losing what you have built probably makes you not try to do those things that are hard. And I think it's, like, the, that classic thing with the mindset. Like, you cannot tell a kid that... They are intelligent because if you ask them if they want to do like a, something hard that they are probably going to say no because they are afraid of you not perceiving them as intelligent anymore. But if you praise someone on like on their efforts, they're always going to keep trying. And I try to communicate this to my audience. Like even last night, I posted a horrible video of me playing some out of tune guitar and these strings are buzzing. And it was like, are you willing to be bad before you're good? because no one is good from the get-go. So if you want to try something, you want to play a piece that's completely out of your comfort zone, if you want to learn a new instrument, if you want to learn a new language, like you have to be willing to be bad and that has nothing to do with who you are. On the contrary, again, it comes down to courage. Do you have the courage to try to express yourself in those ways? Yes, the innocence is gone, but I guess we remedy that with the knowledge that Yes, we can do this because it's a hard way. We are going to probably fail. We are going to fail many times, but if we persist, we can get there. And nowadays, if people want to tell me to my face, oh, you sound so bad. I'm like, yeah, cheers. What are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, I, it's less personal for me. I think I've learned how to 
deal with the ego in that way. Mm. I'm trying my best. Mm. It is what it is. So setting the ego aside and, and I, really going for it. I, I want to personally thank you for saying that because it's something that I'm struggling with. What you said about telling somebody they're intelligent and then they're afraid that if they do something that isn't intelligent, it, it messes with their identity. I think that nowadays, now that I'm trying to learn jazz and I'm trying to learn guitar and so many different things, I don't want to share the learning process of that because I don't want people to think that I'm a fraud. Mm -hmm. I don't want people to, if they hear me play badly, oh, I guess he's washed up. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah. you're so right. Like, in order to get better, you gotta be bad first. If you've never done it before, how could you ever expect yourself to be good at it? That's not how things work. But it doesn't negate the cognitive dissonance that it can create if you're not aware of it and if you don't actively fight against it. And so I want to thank you because I'm going to, when I do my journaling, I'm going to come at it from that perspective of just because you're playing bad today doesn't make you bad tomorrow. Absolutely and it doesn't not. make you a bad person. So that was so good for my soul. I just want to thank you for You're sharing that. You're very welcome. <laughs> You're very welcome. Can I actually segue into something? Because yeah. like you, you had talked about languages. You touched upon that. And I wanted to, for the Viking fam, kind of highlight where we are in your story. Yeah. Okay. You were like, hey, I want to go to Bulgaria. You convinced your government <laughs> To create a scholarship yes. to go to Bulgaria. You're around age 17 now. You're going to Bulgaria. You don't speak Bulgarian no. and you don't speak English. No. So you've burnt the bridges again, but now you're in a country Ooh. where you. There was a story that you shared with ABC Education where you were talking about you went to the store to buy a mop. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that and like how that changed your perception around language absolutely so i go to bulgaria to study in bulgaria and i was so excited about the violin and everything else i just didn't really think about the code where i'm gonna live the like how far is it i didn't know where bulgaria was in the map i didn't know like bulgaria is like cyrillic alphabet i didn't know how to read bulgarian all my lessons everything was in bulgarian so i was like okay i will cross that bridge once i get there i get to Bulgaria. <laughs> and minor I, details. Minor details. I really, I couldn't read. I couldn't understand anything. So what a normal person does, I bought a dictionary. And I was really trying to learn a few words. And I was getting by like few, very first few days. And I also didn't know that in every country, they have a different type of mop. Because at that point, I have only lived in Brazil. And if you don't know that, if you're looking for the same op that you use in America here in Australia, you're not going to find it. But it's Bulgaria, pro, tip, pro, pro tip. tip. And at that time in Bulgaria, like we didn't have like massive stores where you could buy everything. It was like you have the shops where they sell chocolates. You have the shops where they sell cleaning products and the shops where they sell like boutique stuff. So I go to one of those stores 
And I really want to buy a mop for, for my room that I got in Bulgaria. Cleaning, couldn't communicate, so <laughs> doing those things. And I get to this store and I'm looking around and I don't find like the exact thing that we have in Brazil. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I cannot find it. And then the vendor comes to me and I try like with mimics and yeah, like trying to do mimics. And that story just like scalates because she cannot understand me. I can understand her. And then she calls a neighbor that calls another neighbor and everyone's there watching me like <laughs> doing this mimics. And, and it's, it's something so small when you think about it. But at that point, I was so humiliated that I was like making this big performance. Everyone was watching and I couldn't buy a freaking mop because I couldn't communicate. So at that point, I left the store and I'm crying. I'm in tears because I could not find what I was looking for. And I promised to myself, never, ever again, I'm not going to understand and I'm not going to be understood. So I decided that I was going to do whatever it took for me to learn Bulgarian. And if I had to, I was going to learn other languages as well. So I started learning Bulgarian. And in three <laughs> months, I was speaking Bulgarian and off to do my exams and get by and like really communicate. And I remember like my first exam, guys, it was a nightmare. It was a, a subject called Instrumentos Nani, which is like the science of instruments. And I've never seen the subject anywhere else but Bulgaria. But what we had to do is... We had to learn like how every instrument works. And also we had to learn, okay, so you have to tell me like how many strings a harp has, how does it work, how many, like whatever. And how do you write a glissando for a harp? How do you change? You have to know everything about every instrument. And wow. for me to study for this exam, I remember the book was like so big and I had my dictionary on the side. So at the same time that I was learning the subject, I was learning the language. It was crazy. And I put a personal goal to myself, like the project didn't even say that, but I really wanted to like show that I was doing my best and I was committed. So I wanted to take a, a good mark on that exam my first one and I go to the exam and I'm so nervous I literally have to get off the bus to throw up and and I get to the exam and all exams in Bulgaria are oral exams so there is no faking <laughs> in Bulgaria so what happens is you go in groups of twos or three people the teacher asks you to come in you draw a paper which is going to tell you like, okay, what you have to say? And you're in front of the teacher and he's asking like, okay, tell me about the clarinet. How does it work? And, and he starts asking you questions. Like you cannot fake, you have to know things. So uh, I no go faking there. notes in Bulgaria. No faking yeah. notes in Bulgaria. No. We would not. Have, no podcast. No podcast in Bulgaria. No podcast. So first day I go to the exam. I am sick, so sick to my stomach. And I'm trying with my dictionary again. There was no smartphones at that time, guys. And I'm trying to look out for the word throw up to tell the teacher that I was sick. And I'm just like, oh, again, mimics. Ugh. I didn't know how like, those words. And then, okay, we are going to take a while here. Come back tomorrow. Because sometimes for the same exam, they take like several days because every student gets marked individually. And I go back next day and I studied every classical instrument. I'm like, okay, I know everything. I sit down 
and I get accordion. And I'm like, oh, oh no. Accordion, that's so I'm like, okay, what can I say about the accordion in Bulgarian? That's going to be a catchphrase of mine for now. What am I going to say about accordion in Bulgarian? <laughs> What can you say about accordion in any language? That's the. <laughs> <laughs> and then immediately I think, oh, piazzola, I can relate to like. Bandoneon. Bandoneon, yeah. And then I start like saying some things there. And for, it was really lucky that the dude sitting next to me, he got clarinet, but he didn't know anything. And me thinking ahead, I was like, well, I know. I know, I know. I didn't know much about the accordion, but I knew about the clarinet. So the teacher's like, okay, you can say it. So I, I start speaking about the clarinet. And then it's a crazy exam anyways, but I did the exam, got the highest grade. And like, I was really thriving with, yeah, thank you. And in Bulgaria, the exams go from, you can have a zero and the max score is a six. So got a six on that one. And it's such an archaic thing. Like you, they write on your little notebook. You have a special notebook um, for your academic score. I can show you guys later. And I was striving with my Bulgarian. And I remember when I went to violin lessons, for example, I would, in Bulgaria, we had two lessons a week. So Tuesdays, we had um, individual lessons and you would play your solo repertoire and your scales and things like that. And on Fridays, you had to watch everyone's lessons. So it was like in a masterclass setting and with piano. I remember I had a notebook where I was taking notes when I watched other people play and for my own sake as well. And on the bottom of every page, I had like my personal dictionary. So the very first pages I have like Siguka, violin, Falshivo, out of tune. <laughs> so sometimes I would oh, just no. catch, <laughs> just catch the the like, only the two feel. words we need. Like, yeah. <laughs> but then what happened? Like I was hanging out with the group of like foreigners in in Bulgaria, and they all would communicate in English, and I didn't know English, and I felt so oh, humiliated. No. And they would laugh because oh, like we didn't know no. some certain words. So that's when I was like, okay. I'm learning lots of languages now. And then I learned in Bulgaria, <laughs> I learned Spanish and I learned French. And then I moved, I was invited to study at the Carnegie Mellon University with um, Andres Cardenas. And when I moved there, I learned English. And then when I was uh, in the US, I was like, oh, I cannot really use my Bulgarian. So I'm going to learn Russian because it's similar. And then I started learning Russian. And then I went back to Bulgaria for a period, didn't know how to, to make money. So I started teaching Bulgarian in Bulgaria. But I was teaching Bulgarian for a group of Italians that didn't really speak English. So I learned Italian to teach Bulgarian to Italians. And then with like my language journey, and I gave this interview to ABC because at that time I was committed to learning 10 languages before I turned 30. But I actually think I'm okay at seven now. <laughs> like, that seven. was you just you've been answering all of my questions. I was like, yeah. Did you get to ten? Because that that's seven <laughs> is still that's seven. I seven with more one. languages. I'm still working on number yeah. one here. Like <laughs> my priorities changed a bit because then I realized like why am I 
doing this and、mm-hmm. I was doing it to communicate.、Mm-hmm. But then I, I can communicate with a lot of people. And I was actually just thinking this morning, actually, like how I would have loved to learn Greek. Yeah. But I was like, think about the time investment because now I think I'm a little bit more cautious like, of where I'm investing my time. I'm like, would it be better for me to learn Greek or learn a、yeah. bit more about audio productions? Like, nah, audio production now. Do I want to? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's another language. Yeah. <laughs> That is a language. I'm very curious w- with all of these languages. How do you keep it together? Do you dream in one specific one? When you were in Bulgaria for a while, were you dreaming in Bulgarian? And now, do you dream? Teaching Italian in, in, in Bulgaria. I'm, I'm very curious about that. I mostly dream in Portuguese and English, but sometimes it's very specific. Like I have dreams in a different language. And usually, it's, this is so crazy, guys. But when I'm dreaming in Bulgaria, Bulgarian, I usually have a dream that like I'm having a conversation with someone. And I think it's my brain trying to like. Bring the language back to my conscious mind because I'm、mm-hmm. dreaming, I'm talking to someone, and they say something. I'm like, Oh, I forgot how to say this and this. And and they teach me in the dream. And I wake up and I either know a new word or I either remember, Oh, yeah, that's how you say that. So my、wow. <laughs> subconscious mind keeps it fresh. But one thing that I、mm-hmm. do to not lose the language is listen to. Some podcasts in that language, or like some TV, or like some music. So, just for you to, you already learned it, but to keep it fresh, to have some contact、mm-hmm. with those languages, it、mm-hmm. really helps. That's really good to know because, like, I at one point was really good at Spanish. I got a minor in Spanish when I was in college. And even to this day, I'll be hanging out with friends and I'll just say something in Spanish, but it's not as like, Strong.、Uh, it's not as strong as I would like it to be. I've tried to have like multiple people who would be pen pals or in,、yeah. in Spanish, but it always became just like <sighs> too hard because I'd always be like, what does that mean again? Is- would you recommend going and living in like a country where they speak that language? You think that's like really essential to learning the language? I think it's really good, but it's not essential.、Mm-hmm. Like, I learned. French and Bulgarian. In, in Bulgaria, I learned <laughs> it's not like you don't have to be living there. Of、okay. course, the, the difference here is the exposure. If you、mm. can expose yourself to the language, like, of course, you're going to learn more. So I can expose、mm. myself to Spanish here a lot if I really want to, if I'm committed to it. There are lots of South Americans in Australia. I can watch、mm. Spanish movies. I can expose myself to the language. So you create this environment.、It、doesn't mean that you have to be living there. What happens when you are living in the country is that that, that happens more easily. It's by default, it's like a little bit more effortless. But You have to also consider that I know so many Brazilians living here in Australia, for example, that don't speak English. Because even though they、mm. are living in an like, English environment, they only communicate with Brazilians, or like, they, their environment, personal environment is like, all in Portuguese. And they don't go that extra mile to really learn the language. Yes. So, answering your question, yes, it's good, not essential. And you, you still have to do your part. Like, you still、okay. have to study.、Yeah. I'll get to study. But I, I will from now on just speak to you in English. <laughs> yeah, speak. No, for real. Let's do that. Podcast got a lot shorter. I, I will be much quieter. <laughs>
But I'm curious, have you ever seen the movie Arrival? Arrival? I don't think I have. I think you'd really like it because it's a wonderful film, but aliens come in, but it's not an alien movie. It's really a movie about language and understanding and how people use language. And that's like the crux of, of the whole film. And one big part of it, no spoilers, is how language can affect how you act and how you think. And I'm curious, as you gain each new language, does that change how you act, your motivations, or even your approach to, to music? I think so. If I'm really considering it, I think I am more compassionate and I think I understand, like I, I understand cultures in a different way. Like when I'm talking to you guys, I don't know. I think Trevor, you were in Colorado now. Are you in Colorado? Where are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I understand the culture in a different level because I, I can communicate in English and I also have lived in the US and we can make some jokes that perhaps if we make those jokes in English like we would get it but if I try to translate it to another language it would not really be translatable and mm-hmm. personal skills as well like lots of Brazilians when I go to Brazil they think oh you don't act like a Brazilian it's like I think it's because you encompass so much from other cultures i think you get the best of every culture and each like part of the word and you make yourself and i guess that mm-hmm. that circles back to like authenticity as well like in the beginning all these stories like they build who you are so for me communication was important and having this connection with people mm-hmm. like i think the natural part of me as brazilian is like hey Let's have a chat. Let me tell you like some stuff. I really want to know about your life and and teach me those skills. And where I also learned how to be like a little bit more rational, like Bulgarian, the the language is so square and everything is yes or no. So you learn those different nuances (laughs) from like different places. Can we jump into Bulgaria? There was one more story that you told me when we were having our chat, and it was about your teacher in Bulgaria and the incredible obstacles you had to encounter that had nothing to do with language. No. had everything to do with the instrument. (laughs) There was a story where you had to learn Kreutzer etudes from memory and play them yes perform them could you tell the a little bit about what that that experience with that teacher because i think it'll dwarf anybody who's had a bad experience with the teacher this will top it and i would love for you (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) unfortunately but you overcame it and that's why i would love for you to talk about a little bit so i told you guys how i actually got my scholarship to go study in bulgaria and i also mentioned that Mm -hmm. i didn't have a violin and that's another story. My violin got stolen by a violin teacher of mine. And I was borrowing a violin to, to be able to work and study. But when I went to Bulgaria, I had to return this violin. And the project gave me like a little bit of money so I could buy a violin when I got to Bulgaria. I get to Bulgaria. And again, I arrived there on a Friday. Every student is on that masterclass setting. And the teacher is just like really passionate speaking about something and I'm just like nonchalant listening like really happy also grateful for this opportunity I'm here and when the teacher lives (laughs) every student they're trying to tell me she expelled you from the university and I'm like 
what after everything <laughs> i have done this is crazy what happened and she was like she was saying like how come like you come here without a violin you're not responsible i don't tolerate this behavior in, in my class what this is crazy you're not committed how come you come to study violin and you don't have a violin she was really angry and there i was and i i go and i follow her and i'm literally begging and crying and i'm on my knees asking her to like please reconsider and she like go back to brazil and here is the evil thing she knew a little bit of portuguese and I knew she could understand some things that I was saying, but she would never. She never spoke a word of Portuguese to me. So mm. I knew I was saying things and she was like understanding, but she was just like talking to me in Bulgarian. And I'm like, I don't understand. I just, everything is just very on the gesticular, like on the mimics. And I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. Crying, begging. And she's, she stops and she looks at me with that, pity face and she's okay so if you want to be in my class by next tuesday that wasn't friday you have to come and play 10 etudes uh, from kreutzer by memory and if you play those 10 etudes you can stay so she asks everyone from her class to go back there on a tuesday and i then can borrow a violin i borrow a violin And I start practicing. There was no tomorrow again. And I start playing the etudes. It was the first thing in the class. Everyone was waiting for it. And I start playing and I play to number one, then play to number two. And thankfully for me, memory was never a really big problem. So I stopped playing. Memory was playing. never an issue. That's, it is for yeah. me. What? <laughs> I can't remember what I ate for breakfast this morning. Like Memory, like I cannot remember movies, for example. I can watch a movie today. And if you ask me like tomorrow, tell me the plot of the movie. I'm like, oh, don't really remember. But music, I think I can remember. <laughs> like, yeah. Good for me because of my job. Hey. <laughs> Oh, but so I was <laughs> very convenient, <laughs> very yeah. convenient. So I start playing and I play all 10 etudes and she makes some comments here and there about some of the etudes. Again, it's like, like Tarzan language for me. Okay. I understand. The <laughs> and then when I play the 10th etude, she just stands up and leaves the room and shuts the door behind her. And everyone is in the class looking at me and I'm looking at them, what just happened? And she didn't say anything. So I kept coming back. I was like, I will take that as you can stay. And I think like from that day on, she probably thought you're going to stay, but I'm going to make your life hell. And, and that's what happened. Like she was so like, even mean, like she was so brutal and first year i thought to myself she's crazy she's an old lady bitter old lady it's crazy mm -hmm. thing i'm just gonna take the good and leave the bad and all positive mm -hmm. and stuff but second year i started believing it and it was like to the point it was really insane if she told you like oh do a down bow here and you went back next lesson and you play down bow and she didn't like it she would be like 
who was this idiot that told you to play a down bow? What are you doing? And she would scream and you could not say it was her. You would just say, I'm so sorry. I'm so stupid. I don't know why I did this. I apologize. I'm really sorry. And everything was like on, th on that note, like to the point where like I had to repeat out loud, like that I was incompetent and like she told me many times like to go back to Brazil and try to sell popcorn on the streets or something like just what are you doing wow it's, it's also oddly specific that's also <laughs> yeah. so popcorn <laughs> I can't so I don't know shoes or music instruments no don't no, forget the butter <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And sometimes, like, I would practice and, like, she knew I would practice and she would be like, oh, you would have spent your time better at the mall. And you're like, facts. You got any money? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. It was, there. <laughs> it was really crazy. And then it just got, like, Ugh. to the point where I think I am a strong person, but it got to a point where I broke. So I was, like, Every lesson, I was crying every lesson. I was crying every time I touched my violin. So I would literally, I would practice. And I would practice probably an average of eight hours a day at that time. And I was crying the whole oh my time. God. Like my previous violin has like tear marks. And then she got even more even when she's, if you cry during my lessons, you're out. And I'm like, like holding back. And it was just like such a psychological torture so much so that i i went to a music festival in brazil end of end of my second year and some teachers were like what happened to you they were really worried i was crying playing in orchestra and i was i'm usually like bubbly and i don't know like happy and i was in a really dark place so when i came back to bulgaria Oh, and that's when I was invited to to go to Carnegie Mellon. I met the teacher actually in Brazil. And Cadnes, he has this this presence of like a really tough guy. And he was my assigned teacher for the festival. And I was so like in, in such a bad mental space that I couldn't play in front of people. I was still practicing, but my confidence was shattered because mm -hmm. like I, I really started believing mm -hmm. like I cannot play in front of people. No one likes listening to my music. I'm terrible. And anyways, so the director of the festival, he's look, you have mm -hmm. been going to Cardinals classes, but you haven't played yet. And if you don't play tomorrow, we are not going to give you the certificate. You have to play. And next day I show up and I was playing Havanese by and I had this really great lesson and Cardinus was like fantastic. It was a really good lesson. I played really well. And then I remember he, he taught me like this tip on like uh, some staccato volante. And I did that on this spot. And you owe me $500 now. I'm like, I don't have $500, but uh, I can give you some chocolates. And he's like, he's laughing. Anyways, end of the day, popcorn, end of the day, we both had concerts, <laughs> yeah. and I see him at a backstage, and I give him some chocolates, I thank him for, for the lesson, and I go my way to the concert, concert's over, 
and going back to the dorms and I pass in front of this table like where all the teachers were like in this restaurant and everyone like stands up and says Anna, Anna, we need to talk to you and I'm like, okay, what happened? What did I do? And Richard mm -hmm. Young actually starts this conversation to me, which is a former violist of the VME Quartet. He's like, oh, I told Codnes about like your story. And he told me that you played really well in the class today. And then Codnes comes and he's like, I want you to go study with me in America. And I just start laughing. I'm like, no, thank you. I'm not going. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why not? I was like, look. I cannot deal with another teacher like that. I cannot do that. And I was still my second year of college. I was like, I cannot do that. And he's like, look, I know what you have been going through. I promise you, it will not be like that. Like, I promise you. So I have that in mind. And then what am I going to do? I had that scholarship from Brazil. So I think really quickly and I'm like, okay, I know this is possible. I'm really going to go for it. So I create this plan i go to the dean's office and i'm like i want to uh, in bulgaria i want to do my third and fourth year at the same time and he's what i was like yeah i want to do third and fourth year parallel to each other and he's like oh you realize that's two recitals you realize that's like double the workload is yeah i know i want to do that and i want to graduate because then i was able to call my scholarship in brazil if i do this if i do this will you still give me the money for the fourth year? And can I use that money for the fourth year in the US? And they're like, yeah, you can do that. Mm. So I finished my studies in Bulgaria. <laughs> yeah, you could do two years at once. Yeah, we'll fund that. <laughs> so that's what I did. I was like, I was so sick of like the mental wow. torture. And, and Bulgaria that I was like, okay, mm -hmm. this is a way for me to actually trying something different and I endured a little bit longer but then I actually asked to have another teacher and I had to break up with my my original teacher which was horrible and like when I tried to tell telling her I couldn't say look you are mean <laughs> you are a horrible person like I, I had mm. to say yeah. <laughs> I had to say, look, sorry, professor, you are wonderful. And I've, re I've just realized I'm not good enough for you. So I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to step out. And like, you are amazing. Mm -hmm. I just realized I'm so dumb. I'm so sorry. I wasted your time. And she started crying and she started hugging me. And she started saying, no, you are like, it's insane. She's like, oh, no, I did this because wow. you are my best student. What do you want? Do you want to play Brahms? Do you want to play Tchaikovsky? Is that what you want? Let's to stop oh playing Brahms. God. How about that? And for us, I don't know, a music <sighs> school, like, our rewards was the piece that was assigned to us. If your teacher assigns you Brahms, oh my God, you are a genius. And she says, you want to play Brahms? Let's uh... play Brahms. And I'm like, no, I just, I just don't want this anymore. Wow. I actually was at that time, like, I was going to have a concert in Colorado. And I didn't tell her because she would never allow me to do that. And I, and I told her, like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm not good for you. This is not working. She's like, how about this? Think about that for a week. And then you call me. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Wait, I already so, I've thought about this already. I already thought, <laughs> thought about, about this. this for two years. <laughs> <laughs> so I next day, I actually 
applied to Colorado. I didn't call her and then I started working with another teacher in Bulgaria. And I do everything doubled. But by the end of my studies there, I get my bachelor's degree and I go to the US. That's how it happened. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I know you said like, you don't remember movies, but if I watched the movie of your life, I would never forget that. <laughs> I would I never forget the plot. I don't remember the plot. Hello, Netflix. Say, wow. Yeah, yeah, True, Netflix. Man. If you're listening, Netflix, we've got a. a we know, we know they're listening. We know Netflix. <laughs> they're, they're listening. Let's, let's be real. Here's an LA there in his background. But it's insane that you were able to survive and have the fortitude and. Because we, we think about this a lot. Thankfully, it seems there are less and less teachers like this, where yeah. it definitely crosses the tough love spectrum into the ab abuse. And it frustrates me because I think of how many people stop because of that. How many people stop because of being bad teachers? And that inspired me to be a good teacher. I had a couple great examples. My undergrad bassoon teacher, the one who took a risk on me because I couldn't play to number one, was not that. He was the correct t amount of tough love, at least to me. Like mm -hmm. He cared about mm -hmm. me if I came in there and I I can't play today, I'm not doing well. Like he looked out for me as a human. And so I saw that example and I was like, that's what I want to be. He's looking out for you as a person while still really wanting you uh, to be great. And just for how strong and how the strength you have and the courage and the insane risk you took to even get to that point, to then still get broken down. like it, I, I can't imagine how many stories you have because that just must have been awful that it could, if it can happen to you. But another thing too is that you at least were able to make it past that as evidenced by all that you've done since then. So congrats on that. When you're in the States, because by that point, you've now lived in some very interesting places. There's <laughs> a pretty big contrast between Bulgaria and Brazil. What's it like being there do you start to do you miss home does it feel a little more familiar is it just a whole new adventure what's it like at Carnegie Mellon it was so interesting when I got there because I didn't really know much about this school but I remember the first time I called my father from the CMU campus I remember telling him that it's just like the movies <laughs> because <laughs> they had the green grass and students sitting in, under the sun reading a book and drinking coffees. And I was like, what is this? This is insane. And I thought it was first of all really beautiful, completely different from my reality in Brazil and in Bulgaria. Like Bulgaria, our buildings were like ex-communist blocks. It's what what do you really want yeah. here? And in America, yeah. everything was so beautiful and so organized. And I think the problem for me in the US started with like the fact that I was invited to CMU, which I later learned it's a very prestigious school. So, and I didn't know the competition in America was so fierce in a different way. Because I'm just there, like, really grateful for the opportunity. I, I wasn't, like, very ambitious in the sense of, like, look at me, look where I am. And I remember the first thing that kind of got into my psyche there was, like, 
the the admin's office lady she's saying oh my god you got invited by Cardenas you must be the best violinist that he ever had because it's so difficult to get into the school and then imposter syndrome started hitting and I was already not in a good oh. place psychologically and the other students were also like oh my god you were invited by Cardenas and he talked about you like Welcome. Can you please help me here with this passage of the Isai? Can you play for me so I can see how it goes? And I'm like, I don't know this piece. Uh, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you saying? And so I remember my first performing class there was was actually, oh, what did you call it? A violin rap? Like where we play orchestra stuff. There is a name for this class. Yeah, rap class. Yeah, yeah repertoire class. <laughs> we are in first class and we are supposed to play Don Juan by Strauss. Mm-hmm. And he, the teacher forms a like semicircle and he asks everyone to play individually. I didn't know I had to prepare for that. And no, not Don Juan. Don Juan sight reading. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and. Oh, that's, that's a nightmare. It I is dream, a nightmare. I, I dream in multiple languages uh, about this nightmare. <laughs> it was terrible. So when it started getting close to my turn, I couldn't do it. I just got my violin, got my, my stuff and left the room. And I was like in tears and I called my teacher and I like, look, let's have a chat. I called his wife, which was also a violinist and by because guys uh, i got close to her because when i moved to the us i'm laughing because now i see how outrageous trained it was but when i moved to the us i booked two nights in a hotel and that was it i was like i'm moving to america where are you staying i'm like i don't know i'm just like oh, I'm booking two what? nights in a hotel this movie gets better and better <laughs> I, I and then we'll go from there. <laughs> Netflix, like, Netflix. A quality in the hotel. And like, yeah, when I get there, we'll figure it out. And like, I, I book like a shuttle bus as well to take me from the airport to the hotel because I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anything. And, and like when I arrived there, I tell my teacher, second day, which was supposed to be my second night, I go to the university to talk to him. And he's like, where are you staying? I was like, oh, I just booked this hotel. Like, maybe I will just stay there for a couple more nights until I can find an apartment as if it was that easy. And he's like, what? He's like, come stay with me in my house. And I'm like, oh, sure. So there I was like 21 years old at that point and <laughs> completely naive again. Like, yeah, there's no bad time for me. Just I already have been through so much. What is, what is two nights in a hotel moving across continents so i go to his house and i meet his wife and his wife was not happy she was like who is this girl staying in our house (laughs) from brazil and but then like i woke up next morning and i started feeling like the the family routine and the kids they used to practice piano every day at 7 a.m and so next day I wake up and I'm like, can I help you pack the kids' lunch? Or can I do this? And I can help them practice. And I start like trying to be helpful. And then turns out we we became like best friends to the point of like one day she goes to me with me to IKEA 
and she forgets to pick up their, their kids from school. She's like, oh, I got a third child now and I forget the other two. So like I became part of the family. So by that point, like in one week when I had my first like rap lesson, rap class, when I have left the class, I called my teacher. He couldn't answer. I called her and, and she's all... That's okay, like, just come home and we will talk about this. And I never went back to that class, like, to that point. Like, I never went back. And that's when I realized, first time I actually realized there was a problem because I I was in panic just in the thought of playing in front of someone. So I actually started going to therapy in, in Pittsburgh. And that with like my shattered confidence and imposter syndrome it was really tough to overcome and but again I was doing what I knew I, I could do like I could practice and I could try to be my best but I was still struggling a lot with like performance anxiety and all of those things so Pittsburgh was a year where like I found out sorry <clears throat> I found out that the competition it was different like people didn't really say to your face like in Bulgaria everything was like very transparent like they don't like you they're gonna tell you to your face and America was a little bit different they were just like let's see what you got sounds about right (laughs) (laughs) and Pittsburgh's not an easy place either as a city itself it's got this like tough gritty it's not the shiniest place like they like that toughness so that's like another aspect of coming into it so when you got to go to ikea did you also learn uh swedish while you were there did you pick no, that up no, really no, quickly no, no. Ah. <laughs> no okay but, <laughs> thank you no. with, i mean to made it this far and then going into to therapy because it's just it's obviously traumatic it's horrible and i think if we're looking back like speaking of another language greek and way back with the Stoics and Stoicism. And okay. one of the things they think about philosophically is good struggle. They're like, life is going to be hard, but you need to do the right hard things. And I think there's this weird psychology. Either that teacher in Bulgaria, if she maybe she had the same tough teacher, and they're like, it worked out for me, it's going to work out for you. And then this like cycle of abuse continues. But like that struggles, that's not good struggle. That's like unnecessary struggle. You can get great at anything without abuse. And yeah. and I hope, and it looks like at least in this day and age, after all this whole arc of history, that we're finally, people rising up and say, hey, this is not okay. And I think it's wonderful that you're sharing all of this because mm-hmm. someone might be going through this scenario right now or have gone through it and they get to see how you've come out and how you've pushed through and what you the steps you did to get beyond that and to continue working on that it's invaluable some of the stories you're telling here today so thank you oh thank you i appreciate you particularly anna like you just being honest about it because what's so incredible about you is your audacious tenacity and how you always find a way to make it work but you're still human And you still have the same sort of fears and doubts that we all have. That's what makes your story even more incredible is because a lot of people may be listening, faking fan may be listening. I could never do that. But 
you didn't think you could do it either at first. You just were yeah. like, I'm going to try because it needs to happen. I need to give it a try. And no, nobody gets out of trying and risking things without some sort of blowback, without some sort of like struggle. And it's so, I just wanted to react to your teacher, your Bulgarian teacher, not wanting you to leave for a second because yeah. that said that speaks volumes that must have been a very vindicating moment where you were like oh so it was all bs and you did like me you and were I in am power. worthy you, you had you realized you had the power yeah, yeah. and i'm curious as to because i, I want to begin to start tying a bow on this we got to have you back because i know <laughs> there's so much i didn't get to like social media and like your journey and things like that but I wanted to ask you, so was it therapy that really got you through the performance anxiety or was it time? Because that's something we don't really talk about. Like sometimes like time really just heals a lot of these wounds as well. So can you talk a little bit more about that? I can. If I can just put a closure on the teacher in Bulgaria. For sure. Just to close the story. After that day, the only other time I spoke to her is I called her to invite her to one of my concerts because she told me so many times, you're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to be a soloist. So I call her one day, it's six, seven months after. And I'm like, hello, professor. I just really want to thank you for all you did for me. And I would like to invite you out to my concert. I'm going to be playing Mozart Violin Concerto Number no. 5 with the Sophie State Symphony. And she's like, oh, how wonderful. <laughs> I am going to be there. And she never showed up. So that was the cherry for me. And that's that story. She never like, showed up. Yeah. She never showed up. Yep. <laughs> but I did play as a soloist <laughs> not too long after. Let them know. Yeah. So with, with the performance anxiety, it was mm-hmm. certainly time. And the, the therapy did help at the time i was like really confused to be honest because i couldn't really label what i was feeling and for me what i was experiencing in bulgaria was normal so i didn't really know that things were not like that so that's why i think it's so important for us to talk about that don't have to be tortured psychologically for you to be good and i didn't know that i thought okay maybe she's a little bit over to the point like when I got to the US and I I had all the teachers after like if they didn't say this is terrible I'm like okay are you gonna teach me because like they usually said oh very good (laughs) this is great (laughs) yeah how about you think about this as well I'm like oh they don't want to teach me like what is this so I, like I was confused and what was right what was wrong what I was really feeling so when I went to therapy it was such a mix of like emotions and okay I'm, am I supposed to talk about my childhood is that what I have to fix what really is going on so I don't think I took the best out of therapy at that point and also and they were very quick to send me to a psychiatrist and ask me to be on on medication and at that point I think it was I don't know I just had this intuition that I was like it's not the time for me to do that. And I know it's very important for people to be medicated properly, but I didn't feel like 
I could really express what was going on. And so I didn't think that they were medicating me for the correct reasons. So what happened is I really started Mm -hmm. learning about psychology and what is even mindset and having a positive mindset and learning like how to hack my mind. And I that, that was a crucial part of my time was spent on, okay, how can I fix my brain? How can I fix my emotions? Because I wanted to have control over that because I knew as a performer, I'm always going to be faced with those those challenges like I have to perform I love performing actually me intrinsically like we all teach and teach at some point or another but like between if I had to choose between teaching and performing performing I love performing I love like sharing music I love that Mm -hmm. and I knew I had Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. overcome that somehow so I did a lot of like self-help read lots of self-help books and was really into like vision boards and like visualizing and the power of the mind and all of those things. And also I've learned something that I I only was able to put into words recently with the help of my teacher here in Australia, but I've realized that when I'm on stage, it's not about me, it's about the music. So that really helps me. Take all those anxieties aside. And like, and of course, like if I feel prepared, that really helps. If I don't feel like I've done as much as I could and backstage, then you get more anxious and like, oh, am I going to mess up that passage and all of those things. But when you are on stage, it's sacred and it's about the music. It doesn't matter if I make that shift in particular, I'm going to make everything that I can as beautiful as possible. And it's about that it's not about me Anna just look at me it's that so that really helps me to this day actually it's in essence you've found your higher power is being on stage and you've made your art work for you and we all get to benefit so it's a nice added bonus (laughs) we get to hear you play everyone's journey with mental health is going to be different but it is fascinating for all the people we've spoken to across our lives and interacted with in schools and conferences, but in particular to this podcast, almost everyone has touched upon mental health in some way, shape, or form because uh, for many years we didn't talk about it and we didn't know about it. But regardless of who, what, or where someone is in their journey, they're battling this. Yeah. And that we're, it's a struggle and it's hopefully at times can be that good struggle against ourselves to to win over control of our mind. If someone breaks their arm, no one, you know, we, oh, are you okay? We can see it. We understand, oh, that really hurts. You need your arm. Uh, no one questions that like, oh, he can't come and do this thing because his arm's broken. But if something's going on internally in the mind and we don't understand it, we somehow don't, don't give it any luxury. Ah, oh, they're just sad. They're just this. Get over it. Oh, just to just take this pill. Like it's a huge, serious thing. I think how complicated the brain is. We, we know yeah. so little about it and how our mind actually works. And it surprises me. It took this long to tackle these things. It's, I guess, because we don't understand it. We don't see it. But for someone like you to come uh, and explain this and like all of our other guests who delve into it, this is what we're really, we're really working on is trying to improve our mind, hack our minds, study and overcome. This is definitely going to have to be a multi-part series of Netflix. <laughs> we're going to need a couple. Mini series. We're going to need a mini series for this one because we spent so much time 
we haven't even arrived to now to present day you yeah which is incredibly fascinating we didn't even make the journey yet to australia but <laughs> no. we can save that for another day but i wonder if you could give a little bit of a taste of where you're at now and what are your main focuses and what from your past has led you to the decisions of today sure so i'm currently living in sydney australia and i came here to work on my doctorate which actually the topic of my dissertation it actually was born because of that struggle so i really wanted to learn and to research learning how to learn and like practice like how can we practice in a more efficient and effective way because i always felt like i was running against the clock and i knew people like that were like my peers probably started playing way before i did and i wanted to make sure that like I could understand the brain, the psychology, and how to do those things better. So that struggle was actually beneficial in the way that I found this path with my DMA dissertation. And I finished, since then I have finished my doctorate. I am working a lot on my personal music, and I am like working as an independent artist and as a session musician. And as soon as I finished, like I finished my degree end of 2019 and then COVID hit. So that was um, pretty devastating for us in the artist industry. So I had all these plans and then I knew I had to go online. And then I have this crazy story as well with like my Australian visa. They tried to keep me out of the country and I end up staying. And then there is like social media. So there, there is lots of, of things that we could but nowadays I'm like working on becoming a better musician still like doing working on my craft and I I'm working also on ways on like how we can communicate and, and present music to different audiences because I have a, a considerable audience online and so many people talk to me and like they know me and I feel like lots of people thankfully they follow me because they like who I am but Lots of them, they never heard of a violin before or they didn't know anything about classical music. We we that are now in, more invested in social media, we have such a powerful tool to opening up conversations and to showing people different things, different perspectives. And we know from like lots of research that people tend to like what they're exposed to. So I'm like, what if we can do our part and actually expose people to some different things good things and and I like as many other musicians the way I found to open this conversation is to speak their language first so to do covers of some pop songs and and like start that that conversation and 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 I know that from language experience that like you cannot talk to someone in a different (laughs) language if like if if you cannot communicate so I think that communication is very important to me. And I think now I'm on this journey of connecting with all the musicians and see how we can help each other and help the community as well, like how we can do collabs and how can we all grow together. Because I think if you try to grow alone, it's very hard. If we can all grow together, I think we can accomplish much more. I think we can do so much more for our mm-hmm. communities, for the world, our legacy. So think that's that's where I am in my journey right now. More music and more connections. I cannot wait 
to see where your journey takes you. And I'll just wait to binge it all on Netflix. So I'll, I'll it but it's incredible. Your entire story, it's just full of courage and fearlessness and learning and giving back. And the, the music community and the world at large is better with you in it. And so I look forward to seeing where you go. And I'd love to have you back on to, to bridge the gap to now and to learn more from you. But thanks again for coming through. Thank you so much. It's an honor. Really good pleasure and really good chat. You guys are amazing hosts. Thank you. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. It's easy with guests with guests like, like you and who we've had on. It makes us look good. But, but true. <laughs> thanks. Thanks again. Till next time. Till next time. <laughs>